surprises have you had in your third turn experience? Life often throws us curveballs despite our thoughtful and intentional planning. In today's episode, guest Donna Schumel talks about serendipitous surprises throughout her career, especially the surprising twists and turns in her third turn season of leadership. Hey Mark, how are you this episode? <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, I am doing well, eager for this conversation. Yeah, me too. You and I get to talk to a friend that we met separately and were surprised to realize we both knew, um, Donna Schumel, who is a dynamic and vibrant and loveliest of lovely leader. And she's going to help us kind of unpack today her own story about what happens when we meet up with surprises in our third turn of leadership, what third turn surprises can look like. And Dare I say, Mark, that you and I both have our own experience with third turn surprises, things we didn't see coming, things we things changed on a dime. I think we should be surprised if there aren't surprises. <laughs> I think it runs the other way. And we kind of set ourselves up to be surprised because we aren't expecting them. And maybe we just should. That's a great way to look at it. Because I think, you know, you and I are both in the work we're doing with cohorts and third turn leaders. It's how to be planful and intentional preparing for the third turn. And today's conversation with Donna underscores the point that we also need to leave a little room for the unexpected surprises mm -hmm. and what those can look like. So with that, Donna, welcome to the conversation. So delighted to have you join us today. Uh, it just warms my heart to see your faces. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. I know you've been through a lot with work and life lately, so we really appreciate your making space and time for this conversation and what's been a really demanding season. And I would love to have our listeners just hear a little bit of who you are, where you lead now, what you're up to as a leader. And then just, if you would put that in context of, you know, we like to think in terms of what have been your three turns of leadership. What did chapter one look like? What did chapter two and chapter three? So give us a little intro to Donna, if you would. Sure. I'm a partner in a women-owned firm called The Disruptive Element. We actually do leadership performance work with a, not solely for women, but a lot of our energy and, and focus ends up being devoted to women. And uh, we say all the time that our focus is on people. We help uh, people live their best lives as their best selves more often. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's, it's really what's true about me. And I can talk a little bit more about how I got there. but. This focus on really helping people transform is really close to my heart. And, you know, the scriptures about renewing our minds also consistently touch me. And the thing that's distinctive about our firm is really focusing on neuroscience as the basis of some of the work that we're doing. And as a believer, I know our brain changes, but I trust our creator in the ways that he helps us grow and change over time. So I'm delighted to be there, but it's been sort of a circuitous route along the way. Do tell. I'm not sure that I've only had three turns. I think I, or I missed a turn, I think, <laughs> along the way. I started out really wanting to teach young kids to read. So I think my life calling or my purpose was pretty clear to me early on. I think teaching or equipping people 
again, to be their best. I felt like if I could teach them to read, they could really do anything in the universe. And then I also loved the idea of coaching people in sports. I loved football. I graduated with a degree in early childhood education and nutrition, exercise, physiology, and coaching. But uh, people didn't really want a woman football coach at that period in time. So I did start out teaching kindergarten. Absolutely. I loved it. The challenge for me was without sounding arrogant, it wasn't enough intellectually. I loved their little brains and everything, but you know, I was working in a really small town in Northern Wisconsin and the combination of having grown up in big cities and only engaging with little people <laughs> made me really sort of want to pursue something a little bit different. And it was a small town and they were going to lay off the art teacher. It was at a time when we were in a, you know, a shrinking educational environment. And I had this idea that I knew she was early childhood certified and she was the primary support for her family. I grew up in a Christian household and I sometimes listen to God and sometimes I don't. I know he's talking and I'm not listening, but we get these nudges, right? And so I sort of felt like I should just go see if she were interested in potentially teaching kindergarten. So I went over and, you know, it as it as it turned out, that that was true. And so I thought maybe, I, I know this is a big pivot, but I thought maybe law school would be cool. The thing that happened to me in, in education was a lot of kids were being pushed forward in grade levels when they weren't really ready to make that shift. And I thought potentially advocating legislatively for some of the resources that would be needed to support kids that couldn't move at the rates that other kids could would be a way to go and that law school would be the path for that. Well, but when I got to law school, the idea of being able to influence legislatively or politically, it was really clear that wasn't going to be possible. You know, I didn't have the financial resources to get engaged in a legislative capacity. So I'm competitive, but not adversarial. <laughs> so when I looked at what were the areas of practice that I might be able to focus on if I couldn't move into kind of that educational law focus, tax law just was incredibly intriguing to me. You know, how do people make decisions about their wealth and what do they do? And um, there was no enemy. You know, if I'm, if I'm working in tax law to help families make wealth decisions and to optimize the structures they're using to accomplish what they want to do with their money, that would be really, really cool. So went through law school and came out, you know, all enthusiastic about having that kind of an influence. And private practice at the time was not an easy place for a woman to thrive. So I made a pretty quick veer into wealth management, which is really in the financial services industry. It's the sliver of people that really focused on some of the most financially gifted people. And my role was primarily to help families align their wealth decisions, what they did with their investments and what they did with their structures and how they planned their estates and what they did with their gifting or their resources was to help families align their you know, kind of their financial decisions with their values. And without making any judgment about what's laudable or, you know, uh, special, just being able to listen to people and help them align their wealth choices with their values. It's so awesome that the 
teaching four-year-olds and learning to listen and engage with four-year-olds was one of the most useful skills in engaging with and chatting with families. I mean, it's so awesome to watch how God builds in our life for each of the steps, all the things that have come before equip us, I think, for whatever is next. In the context of that work, wealthy families like to do things kind of in the front of the plane and in very, you know, four-star Michelin kinds of ways. And when you get caught up in that world, it's um, it can be attractive. I actually really liked a lot of the aspects of that work and was pretty successful in doing that work. The next thing that happened is I was recruited by a, a consulting firm that not only worked with families directly, but worked a lot with advisors. And so I joined that firm as a partner. And that's pretty much where I would say maybe the beginning of a second turn, because we went from really kind of end user to really working with other advisors, other leaders to be able to deliver that same kind of work. The reason I said it's on the edge of a second turn is I was still really caught up in the accumulation of my own success and my own financial stability and paying attention to what a rock star I was and how many people wanted to engage me and in London and in Singapore and in Brazil and all over the world. You know, I, I was pretty impressed with myself. So I think there was some still residual, this is all about Donna stuff. You know, I watch me pad my resume and my Vitae with all these amazing and grand successes with the most influential and wealthy people in the world. So, I mean, a lot of, you know, I get to go to Geneva and hang out with the private banking. Geneva and London are the places that I play. Even though I was influencing other leaders and other advisors and certainly collaborating with leaders in my own firm, I think that, you know, I don't have a clean, I didn't have a completely clean second turn, you know, uh, in the truest sense. On the, on the flip side, I had become and you know, only through God's giftedness in this big brain of mine, I had become really proficient at understanding the relationship between investment structures and tax law. How do we optimize the growth of wealth and how do we minimize depletion by taxes? And then maybe, I guess, on a third level, how do we deploy from a legacy perspective those resources in a way that's consistent with our values? So it was really teaching other people to protect, invest, and transfer wealth in ways that were consistent with their values. And I loved it. I loved all the newness of it. I loved the travel. I loved different cultures. I loved engaging with all different kinds of people that had really complex family and business situations. It was absolutely fabulous. On the flip side, in the context of doing this work, I have, God has blessed me with like the most fabulous husband that anyone in the universe could ever have. So I've been married 41 years and we have one son, took us a long time to get him. And in the context of running all over the universe, you know, doing this consulting work, he had uh, pursued some educational things and then made a veer on his own to, to really do uh, creative work that was more associated around woodworking and cabinetry and things like that. And so as a result of our, you know, kind of joint decision-making about how we would lead our family, he ended up really in the primary parenting role for much of our life while I was running all over the globe. 
And so during that period of time, there was a lot of kind of soul searching about what does it look like to be gone all the time and be in a healthy marriage relationship? And what does it look like to be traveling this much and, you know, be a healthy parent? And I would not say some of those were my proudest moments. There were times that Bill and Josh would say to me, isn't it about time for you to get back on a plane or, you know, so navigating what does it, you know, I can remember a time Josh looked at me and said, mom, dad and I have a routine around here. And when you're home, sometimes you just disrupt it. You know, you just go, whoa, what a gut check, right? So for our family, you know, even with fairly, you know, I would say very significant church support, very active in our church and our church family in, in, in helping us, you know, love on each other to be in community. I think during that period, I was pretty sucked in by, you know, kind of that, you know, fame and riches and, and self glory, I guess, you know, like, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing. I was engaged in Bible study things and I was still connected in a faith community way, but I wouldn't call it again, my relationships with my husband, my son, I don't, I think I had like the more check the box kinds of relationships, even with God, you know, like if you, if you do your Bible study every day and you read your devotions, it's all good, you know, and. Can I just say, I personally think that's a key part of the second chapter of leadership is like, how do I deal with success? How do I, you know, what values do I kind of embrace or what things do I let go of as I experience this? So it sounds to me like you were doing the work in, in the success you were having, you were doing the work that it's not always easy to look back on, but God bless you. You did the rest, the right wrestling. Absolutely. And again, with tons, tons of support and having, you know, again, just amazing partnerships. And I think relationships and families do have seasons as well, right? We, we grow and learn even in the dips that sets us up for being able to treasure kind of what comes, what comes next? What do we need to change? What do we potentially need to do differently? You know, my son's in his thirties and we still see each other every single week and spend lots of time together. And it's just such a blessing to have that be true. The leadership of that consulting firm shifted. And I know you all deal a lot with these transitions, but the person that I engaged with as a partner ended up passing the business to his son-in-law. The original legacy plan had been that the company would be passed on to the key employees, me and the others who had built the firm over time. But that isn't what happened. It went to the son-in-law. And the values and the focus of the son-in-law were different than the values and the focus of the patriarch of the family. And so I would say there were behaviors without, you know, getting into a dark side of the universe. What's interesting with money, lots of money, when you're moving in circles with lots of money, there are quite a few temptations around choices you make, what you do, who you collaborate with, who you have relationships with. And I think um, just in terms of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? There's a Mm. lot of things that can happen. And so for me, some of the choices that my peers were making were not aligned with what's important in my value system. So I think that I began to lean towards really, you know, making a decision to do something that was different 
from what I'd done up until that point. And, and that was a surprise to you, I would guess, right? Well, that was one surprise. Um, a, a big surprise because I loved it. You envisioned staying in that line of work and for the balance of your career, I would guess? Pretty much, I expected. And God kind of threw a real big surprise. So I'm kind of, I'm niggling on that a little bit. And while that was going on, I had, we had gone to uh, Mexico for a family vacation over the Christmas holiday. And I got back, just wasn't, it just wasn't feeling very well. I can remember I, I was supposed to be going to Evansville, Indiana. I don't even remember what for, but I, I really had never missed, you know, I don't, I don't get sick. I don't miss work. It's just, I've been really blessed with great health. And I just was feeling really, really bad. And after a, a day or so, I, I, I called the client. I said, I just, I just don't think I can make it. I'm going to send one of my other partners to do this work. And I said to my husband, I think you should probably take me to the ER. I, I, something's going on and I don't, I don't know what it is. So it was originally things that related to kind of my digestive system, but they ended up doing a scan to try to figure out what's going on. And when I get nervous, I make jokes and I was kind of teasing the radiologist and they ended up doing a full, not just an ab scan, but a full body scan on my me. And they ended up figuring out that I had breast cancer. So talk about a surprise. I mean, we would never have seen it. I wasn't really super diligent about paying attention to my health because I was so busy. And so I ended up in a hospital bed full of, you know, all kinds of tubes and stuff. And I can remember sitting there with my computer in my lap, trying to communicate with my clients that everything would be fine. There would be no disruption in service. And I had my head around this. And I just, it was, I've never had this kind of a experience again. I it would have been fun, but I felt like I almost heard an auditory, you know, that I actually heard God speak. And um, I, I'm laying in this bed and I hear this thing that says, you know, I, I didn't give you this big mouth and this big brain to just glorify yourself and run around and act like a rock star. You know, there are other things that I've gifted you to do. And I want you to work with women leaders. Hmm. And I was like, I don't even like women. <laughs> I've spent my whole career with men. I uh -huh. like football and mm -hmm. I'm used to men. I get them. The women in my life have not been people I would choose to hang out with. This is, And then I thought, well, it's probably just drugs. This is probably the drugs. It's not God. But it was pretty clear that that was true. So I would say I ended up being obedient. I quit my consulting job. I started a firm on my own called Reimagining Wealth and Reimagining Leadership, which was really focused on serving both women on their own, you know, that were trying to decide what they needed with their wealth, and then women leaders. And I had a lot to learn along the way. That was really humbling because I went from being 
brilliant, capable. I know all these things about tax law. I know all these things about investments. I, I still could kind of use it with the wealthy women, but in terms of leadership, that there was a major shift in my thinking about up until that point, and this is kind of that to, to me through me thing that you all talk about as well. It's about getting competent and finding and learning and knowing right answers. But as we move into a volatile environment where there's uncertainty and ambiguity and complexity, it isn't about knowing, it's about thinking and it's about listening and helping and learning. You know, it's about listening well enough that I can deploy my expertise in supporting other people to make really good decisions because there's so few right answers in the moment. Nothing is linear anymore. It's dynamic. The environment is complicated and things are changing all the time. And so it isn't about trying to give people the right answer. It's about, and Mark, in your latest book that you've written is just brilliant in terms of the support and infrastructure it gives to the idea of deep listening. It's the idea of there's just a whole lot of discovery that needs to happen before we can support people in making right and sound and good decisions. And so I loved it. And that was going super well again. And God had another idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I knew you I knew I left you here for one big surprise, but I'm hearing surprise after surprise. Oh, yeah. It's like Christmas. <laughs> My <laughs> life is like Christmas. And you know, it's interesting. In hindsight, you look at it and you think, these were all amazing gifts at the moment they didn't necessarily seem that way. In hindsight, they look fabulous, right? So what was the surprise that got you from there to what you're doing now, Donna? I think that that was the one I thought was the main one. Yeah, it's a big it's a big one because really I didn't think, you know, it was like this is it. I've arrived. I'm here. I I'm doing exactly what I was called to do. So I I took this class. It's a 360 profile class and I sat next to a woman who actually I did the program with yesterday. That's just a dear friend. And uh, she says, you know how you introduce each other at the beginning of these programs. And I'm telling her what I'm doing. And she goes, oh, my gosh, Donna, that sounds just like all the stuff the disruptive element is doing. You should talk to these women. I mean, I'm not kidding. You guys are you you're very aligned in what you're trying to do in the world. And I think it would be amazing if you would connect. Well, my arrogant little brain goes, I'm already doing that. I'm already doing it well. Why would I want to do it with other people? I've lived a life that had all this experience that brought me to here. You know, like I'm doing all this judging, which is not very mature. But so then I continued on that path with that assessment work and kind of went to the next level. And I'm, I'm at a retreat in Park City, Utah. And the guy that's running this program comes up and he, he's, he says to me, you know, I know some women that are doing amazing work with women and you just remind me so much of them. It's like twin twin daughters of a different mother. And have you met Paula and Laura from the disruptive element? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I have not. And so he actually gets on his phone, dials the number and says, you need to talk to Paula. So I say hello and you know, I'm compliant. And I again I just dismiss it. I'm like, you know, nice. I'm glad there's synergy. And then finally, 
I had another person say to me, you, you, you guys should connect. So Paul and I actually connected by phone and they were working in Chicago for a healthcare conglomerate. And they said, you know, could you come down and, you know, third time God sends the boat, you get on the boat. Right. <laughs> so I started to think, well, maybe I better explore this. This is, you know, this is pretty, pretty many runs by. I don't, there aren't many coincidences, you know, it's, it's just like pay attention. And they were working in Chicago and they wanted me to meet them for dinner. And I don't know what you guys' experience with people are, but most of the time, if somebody wants me to meet them, they make it convenient for them. You know, I'm staying near O'Hare. You should come down here. They actually looked at the route between Milwaukee and Chicago, and they picked a restaurant that was 45 minutes north from where they were in order to make it convenient for me to meet with them. Well, right away, it was like, huh, that's interesting. So we all met for dinner and, you know, it was just magical to think about. We just threw some ideas on the page about what could happen, what might happen, how do we serve people, where might there be synergies, what might I be able to add, how might I be able to come in. And it's so interesting because I thought I was really in that wind down, I'm done. So I mm -hmm. agreed to be a consultant for them to dance a little bit, to see how that would go. And within about a year, I would say, they wanted me all in. So they wanted me to come back and talk about a surprise as a partner, which I, you know, I had done enough work on my own that I didn't necessarily want to be a partner in the firm. But uh, again, that's where God wanted me to go. And what's been super interesting, there's a lot of complexity to each of their lives. They're very unique people. We're all alpha women. It's it's been interesting navigating that path, but very strong together. What's been really fun is the idea that the faith and business intersection finds its own path and its own voice. So as we work with women doing executive coaching, or do we have a program called In Her Element that is a, a leadership development experience for women, and we allow people to choose their coach and person after person that has an interest in integrating their faith life and their professional life and their personal life, they end up selecting me as a coach. Like, mm. And not because I'm so overt with my faith, it's just God working in the background. And so it's just been incredibly powerful to be gifted with the chance to help women be self-aware think about reflecting on what's important and how and who they are called to be and how they're going to live into that living that life that they're they were created to be and then being lucky enough to explore that journey from a faith perspective i would never have thought that was true divert for one second in, the, in that middle path, one of the things I did was to get actively involved with generous giving and women doing well and ministries that were, you know, so I had this, this is my work life, this is my God life. So I'm full on God over here and then I'm full on work over here. And I think the biggest surprise in this third turn is they aren't compartmentalized. We are one hmm. person, we are whole people and I don't have to just operate in ministry. My ministry field can be in, you know, in the workspace. And God has the capacity to integrate both 
you know, kind of leadership development in a, in a non-spiritual context, as well as development in a spiritual way. Yeah, Donna, I really appreciate your overview, your, your thorough telling of that story. It really underscores the serendipity and the surprises that can come and the way our experience can build. So it's its, it's, its own message. And um, yet, yeah, Mark and I have a couple questions to just kind of dig into within that. So Mark, what, what strikes you first off? Well, I, I notice and have noticed through working with a lot of people who are moving into the season of life that you're describing, Donna, that if they've been a hard charger or an alpha female, as you described yourself and those you work with, when they really begin to integrate their full selves, there is a tenderness that breaks out that like matches the hard charge from before. So they're like the most tender people, the most aware and sensitive people. And you just evidence that over and over again and all over the place. So could you just describe a little bit more about what meaningful work is for you now? Oh, just nice softball question, Mark. <laughs> I knew you'd have a sports analogy. <laughs> so in the Enneagram, I'm an active controller. And the idea of vulnerability just, uh, it's just brutal, right? Uh, I manage by competency and, you know, putting big capability out into the space. And, you know, it's so interesting to learn <laughs> that it isn't your competence or your capability that people need. They have to see where you failed or where you struggled or what was hard. That's the place that they can connect. I do not like putting that out into the space. And again, it's giving people access to the stuff that it's not about us. It's you know, through the one who we glorify that gives us our strength and our support and our capability and everything. And so uh, what's meaningful to me is hitting moments where I can feel brave enough to put that out there. I, and I, it's still hard for me, but I watch it every time. It is the thing. It, it is, it is that upside down kingdom stuff, right? It is the thing that allows people to plug in they're afraid of my competence. They can relate to my weakness. Right? Mm -hmm. The fact that it's hard means that you're not performing when you do it. And um, I think that's a part of what makes it so real, why people respond, because they, they sense that this is a hard work and it's a good work. Donna, that's a really tender surprise for you. I can tell that, you know, the bravery required and the vulnerability. So that's the, the you part. What do you notice for the women and the leaders you work with? Like you work with a variety, a, a bunch of women leaders across organizations. What's really on your heart and mind these days as you listen to leaders? I don't know that it's a lot different. You know, I think we as leaders hold ourselves to the standard of excellence. And um, especially the women leaders I speak to, most of them are in some kind of relationship. They are parents. They are trying to be exceptional in the workplace. And they feel like they're failing at all three. They're frenetically busy. So they're so busy trying to establish value through their work that there just isn't enough time in the day 
there's very little time for self-discovery or self-reflection or investing in me, right? And so when we get involved on an executive coaching level or we get involved with this program that's in her element, the thing that we notice is twofold. Giving women a pause to just hear their own voices and be able to process what's happening for them. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they doing? And, and the, be able to have that played back to them in ways they can hear what's happening inside them and, and begin to really identify. It's almost like we are all externally defined until we can hear our own inside voices, the voice of God working inside us, right? And then the second thing, which is so powerful, is we are wired for community. There's just no way we can do this on our own. So as we bring together these women leaders, we, we do cohorts primarily of 10 to 12 people. I know you do cohort-based work as well. And the magical thing is their connection with each other, their um, ability to not feel isolated, like the thing that they're experiencing is happening to them alone, that there's some kind of, I'm not good enough, or I am not enough, or I could be more confident, or you know, all those things that are running around and in the negative self-talk that we, we carry around, when that's put out into the light of day and it can be examined in the context of community, magical things can happen in that safe space. And so um, I, I really, really believe what I notice most is a lot of the leaders we work with thrive more fully when they're put into safe community where they can process self-discovery and skill development and challenges as a community. Donna, this is just a simple question, I think. I would guess you get asked all the time what the disruptive element actually is. So what is the disruptive element? So when I gave up tax law and put all my tax books out the door, I had to have some gargantuan intellectual challenge. And I know Kristen can relate to this, but neuroscience is the answer. So the work that we do is really grounded in brain science. And so the idea of the disruptive element is that we're wired from a brain perspective to keep ourselves safe from threat. And so there's a lot of automaticity, things that happen by default. Our brains are incredibly efficient and they keep doing what we've done in the past, right? And they predict what's going to happen based on our past experiences, and then they replicate, our brain actually replicates that. So the idea of the disruptive element in a brain, from a brain science perspective says we can take a pause. There's this thing that I'm sure everybody's aware of called neuroplasticity, but we can, in effect, do things differently in a way that actually rewires our brains and allows us to be different in the future than we are right now. And in the context of brain science, you know, that's rewiring neurons and pruning and tuning dendrite connections. But in a faith perspective, it's just God helping us to be transformed, you know, and move closer to who, you know, who, who, who we can fully be in the kingdom. So I love the alignment between sort of the brain science disruption. There's a moment at which you can keep doing what you've been doing, or we can disrupt that and create something new. From a spiritual mm. context, uh, it's creation at work. 
I have occasionally debated whether we would ever put one of these interviews up on video or not. And this continues to convince me that we should not because I'm watching Kristen geek out as you're talking about neuroscience there, Donna. And, you know, she's she's a very, you know, good looking person all, but not when she's geeking out. So I just have to say that. It's something Kristen and I share. It was one of yeah. the ways that we bonded. Yeah, so, I can tell. It certainly is. It certainly is. Well, Donna, we are in the interest of time. We do need to wrap this up, although I could talk to you all day. And But your story, I just want to say, your story is is filled with, like I said, serendipity and surprises, wrestling, the important wrestling that helps us open up to the new thing. And um, I really believe it's going to be food and bread for others as people listen uh, to your story. We'd like to wrap up, though, with three turning point questions. So let me fire those at you for um, some top line responses. The first, Donna, is um, I know, gosh, I want to hear more about the football coach career desire. If you could have been anything else besides a football coach and a tax attorney, what would you have done? I would not do anything different. I, if I wanted to make a change, I made it. I still feel like that. I feel my life has been awesome and I, there's none of it I would trade or do differently. Hmm. Lovely. How about a leadership lesson you wish you'd learned earlier? You know, I had sort of a pat answer. You know, I kind of prepared myself for that. Be more curious. It's twofold. Be more curious than judgmental. And in the words of the wonderful Dallas Willard, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And finally, a current book you're reading and why, Donna? This will shock you. (laughs) Seven and a Half Lessons on the Brain by Lise Feldman Barrett. The reason I'm reading it is that there's a lot of bad neuroscience out there. There's a lot of old thinking being put out into the world because it's easy to understand, but it's completely wrong. And so... I am trying to use Lisa Feldman Barrett's work to equip coaches to understand more fully that uh, her work and the idea of our brain being an integrated functioning thing is uh, super powerful in equipping people to access neuroscience in a way that helps them as leaders. And so that's why I'm reading it. Well, Donna, we are so grateful for this conversation I'm glad that Chris and I both had our own stories of how we've met you. And I, whenever I think of you, I think of trying to find which Starbucks we're going to meet at and have a good conversation. I've enjoyed every single one of them and I've enjoyed this. I find myself so often just thinking, I want to be more like Donna. And I am so grateful to know you in that way. The Third Turn podcast is oh. a production of Design Group International. It is engineered by Josh Brinkman and Jennifer Miller is our producer. We continue to recruit for Maestro Level Leader cohorts and you can find out more at maestroleveleaders.com. Kristen or I will respond to you and we'll get a conversation going. If you know a leader that is isolated trying to figure out what they're going to do with this enterprise that they've grown, we'd love to get connected to them and help them have a community as Donna was talking about. If you want to know more about this podcast, thirdturnpodcast.com has all of our back episodes. There are a number of blogs related to it with all kinds of resources. You can find what you need. And if not, we're happy to have conversation with you and figure it out. Farewell for now. This is for grandchildren's grandchildren.